Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jones, Bowden, he's got it, England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, Simon Hughes with you here and in this episode we're going to hear highlights of Stuart Broad's visit to our virtual cricket club last Thursday. He gave up his time in aid of the Professional Cricketers Trust to talk about how he used a sports psychologist to figure out how to maintain his focus and aggression during the summer of cricket when there was no crowds at test matches of course. Uh, he talked about how Jimmy is his inspiration for getting better and better with age and and also he talked about the, the next Ashes being his sort of Mount Everest. Actually, I think he said it's his Olympics. That's the sort of target he's thinking about. He wants to play in that next Ashes series in a year's time. And, and also he talked about the coaches, many of the coaches who've had uh, considerable influence on him, the likes of Otis Gibson, Peter Moores, Andy Flower and others, and the, the things that they've helped him with through his career and he also takes part in our weekly quiz we've created this quiz for the England players in the virtual club called how well do you know yourself we had Root Joe Root on it last week we've got Mark Wood on it next Thursday at 7 p.m live this is the only cricket club that's the virtual cricket club in which you can chat to England stars and ask them direct questions and also have the chance to win signed memorabilia in a simple competition that we've devised. So that's uh, what you can look forward to next Thursday in the Virtual Cricket Club in aid of the Professional Cricketers Trust, that really important charity helping to support players who've hit hard times. And you can sign up to join us in the Virtual Cricket Club by going to patreon.com forward slash the analyst one. Patreon.com slash the analyst one it's a six pound monthly subscription but for that you get four live events so after mark wood we're going to have sam billings we're going to have phil tufnell and alistair cook touch wood and the profits go to the professional cricketers trust as i said so that's next week mark wood before we hear from stuart broad just a couple of other things firstly this podcast is now supported by beer 52 the UK's number one craft beer supplier. In fact, Beer 52 are a sort of craft beer pioneer. They've been traversing the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries all around the planet. Places like Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, California, Finland. And of course, they also feature some of the best British craft beers. And 
This is a special offer. As loyal subscribers to this analyst podcast, we'd like to reward you with the opportunity to get free craft beer from Beer52. If you go to beer52.com, they're offering you a pack of eight exclusive craft beers from around the world free. The only cost is £5.95 for postage. So if you go to www.beer52.com slash cricket, you can subscribe to that free eight-pack offer with just the £5.95 contribution. And one other thing, while we're on the subject of supporters of this podcast, I'd just like to, to thank the Barmy Army again for mentioning us in their newsletter. And just to say £30 is the membership fee for the Barmy Army, and it does give you priority access to match tickets all over the world, especially for things like the Ashes next winter. Very valuable access to any tickets that you're looking for, plus discounts on 120 everyday products as well. £30 Barmy Army membership barmyarmy.com slash membership. So on to Stuart Broad in the Virtual Cricket Club last Thursday. We covered a lot of ground, actually, and the first thing I asked him was, as he wasn't involved in the Bob Willis Trophy, the Vitality Blast, or, of course, the IPL, what's he been doing with himself? We're sort of waiting on our next port of call, really. We've got a fitness testing on the 10th of November. Um, So just been at home watching a bit of the IPL, uh, keeping in touch with cricket that way, uh, doing bits and bobs of training. I started bowling last week at, at Trent Bridge. Um, but it, it's my next cricket earliest could be, I think, like the 20th of January in Sri Lanka, uh, if that all goes ahead. So it's so long away that um, mm. it's quite hard to be like really motivated for that cricket right now. But I know, particularly at my age and with my experience, I know that I need to keep ticking over with my bowling action because you can't go three, four months without bowling and expect to pick the ball up and the body feel fine and rhythm feel good. So just keep ticking over really um, until probably ramp it up uh, the last week in November. It's, it's It must be a very strange uh, scenario because you're, although you've uh, kind of paced yourself, I suppose, in the last three or four years and you haven't played much one day cricket still, there is some, there is always sort of cricket to look forward to, and bowlers need to keep the kind of oil in the the limbs, don't you? Yeah, very much so. I mean, what age did you retire from bowling? Oh God, thirty five. Yeah. So did you oh. like? Did you find like since I've got to thirty, I actually try and bowl a bit more, mm. and I feel my body copes with it better. I feel like yeah. you need miles in the legs. I mean, the England trainers they don't like us running on roads too much, but actually, I try and. I try and run on roads once a week, really, because I think you need that impact on the on the bones, on the body. I think you need bowling is quite a, a a tough, unique, weird thing to do. Your ten times your body weight goes through your muscles or your. Or it's your ten. God, I mean, some people say six, but that's horrendous. Yeah, it's ten. Mm. So you you if you don't put any impact through the body mm. and then go and bowl, yeah. then your body sort of screams at you. You know, we've all done a pre-season game or played a mm. game of football and we haven't done for a long time the next day you feel awful don't you yeah um so I, I try and just keep it quite regular now even in lockdown mm. I, I I bought a net off uh, Amazon and just bowled into the net not a big cricket net just a little golf net but um right I, I, I bowled into that just to keep the body moving yeah because actually it, it everything hurts doesn't it after days bowling I mean it, it different things hurt different days I used to find sometimes that I'd be really aching on some leg or, you know, some knee or something. And I'd get there the following day and feeling really stiff and think, how am I going to get on the park? But 
as soon as I started bowling, I forgot about that and something else half started hurting. So it's sort of, yeah, I don't know, there's a sort of, of psychosomatic, it, isn't it? There's a, there's a love for that. There's a, there's a great satisfaction walking off after a test match or a four-day win where your toes are a bit bloody, you're aching, you, you, you're tired to, tired to a degree, type, like to write the nth degree where you're knackered, but you've, you've got to win. There's a, there's a great sort of satisfaction and almost addiction to that that, that I love. That's great and nice to hear. I know Jimmy said in that uh, series of 2017 when he got to 500 wickets, uh, I remember him saying he got through the whole of those seven tests and he said, actually, they were all really tightly packed together. And I remember him saying afterwards it was better like that because you just, rather than being exhausted, you just, you know, it was almost like a car that just kept turning over, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, what what we don't want as as cricketers, and you know, I'm 34 now. Almost what you don't want are these big long breaks. You know, I, yeah. if you'd have given me the chance to play another five Test matches at the end of this summer, I'd have jumped on it because I felt in great rhythm. I felt fresh. I felt really confident. I almost wanted to wrap everything I was doing up in in a big cotton wool bug or something, you know, and just keep going, remember mm. exactly what was happening. But these long breaks now you know they're so rare in international cricket but with um whether it's been covid or just the calendars work like this we've got quite a long break mm. we start from complete from fresh in january and you you just don't know how the rhythm will feel you don't know how you know it's almost like everyone's coming back from a from an injury really in the fact that everyone will be finding their feet you say there's this sort of great pleasure in you know getting through the aches and pains and producing your, your best You've also been a batsman and you started as a batsman. Can you sort of compare? I mean, you, you know, you, I sometimes used to think, why am I a bowler? God, you know, it's such hard work. Did you have you ever questioned why you ever became a bowler? Or actually, do you think the pain you go through is almost sort of gives you more fulfillment when you when you're successful than than being a batsman? Yeah, I've never I've never thought of it in that way because in my professional career all I've known is the hard work of bowling um but mm. you know Stokes is a really interesting one to talk to because he obviously is an all-rounder so he bats and bowls but he does have test matches where he just bats if he's carrying a, a niggle and he just bats at six and fields slip and he hates it mm. he, he he finds time to stand still if he's at slip whereas I'm someone who likes to be involved in the game. I like the action of it. I like, I like that feeling when the captain's like, right, your turn to bowl, come and have a go this end. Um, and I think most cricketers, when they get to that level, like to be involved, like the pressure, like the, uh, the chance to make a difference, change the momentum of a game. Um, and I think as a batsman, you know, I used to say to Cookie, when he'd go and get 200 be out in the field, well, be batting for 150 overs and then go straight out into, out into the field. It's on his feet sometimes for four or five days during a game. Whereas at least we work really hard for a day, might bowl a team out and then we can watch our batsmen bat. You hope. The, 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 well, the toughest games, the worst you ever play yeah. is mm. when you concede 450, you get bowled out for 150 and you're back out there. You've basically not even taken your tape off your toes. And you're then bowling a wow. brand new batsman, tired, and that's mm. when they can. That's when they can really hurt you. That's when you earn your corn. Just also, you mentioned the IPL there. I've, I've got a little kind of exclusive for you, which is that um, in my mind, you actually kick-started the IPL. Do you know how? 
I'm pretty sure I could guess. Yeah, go on. Was then. it not? Was it not already in place then? No. You're thinking what I'm thinking, aren't you? Durban. Yeah, yeah. You have resting. Yeah, yeah. Six sixes. Well, the person who was in attendance at that game was Lalit Modi, who created the IPL, who founded the IPL, thought of it, and he was out in South Africa recruiting players. And before that game, he says he went into the Indian dressing room and said, anyone who hits six sixes off and over or gets you know, a hat trick, I'll give them a Porsche. They win a Porsche, right? And halfway through your over, when Yuvraj had hit two or three sixes, he sort of said, I woke up. And I thought this could be it. And then the other sixes were hit and the sixes. And by the time the sixth one had been hit, he was marching down to the boundary side, waving at Yuvraj saying, you want, you know, I want that bat. I want that bat. And Yuvraj apparently had to give him the bat, maybe after the game, and said, where's my Porsche? And um, Lalit said, it's done. I'll give you a Porsche. Absolutely. He said, that is when I knew the IPL would take off. And I didn't get a Porsche. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, <laughs> a, 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 apropos of that, it's quite ironic. I mean, it definitely, Lalit Modi says absolutely, categorically, that was the moment he realised T20 and the IPL was going to take off. And, you know, he had was all these grand, grand... That, was, it, was it booked in for that, summer, that uh, winter, was it? Yeah, it was, it was starting mm. six months later. So my question really India won, is, India won it. In the, India won India the won T20, won the yeah. So they then won that tournament under Dhoni. Six million people, according to him, then lined the streets of Mumbai to greet the team back from their triumph. And the IPL started three or four months later. And that's he thinks that was the catalyst. You know, that was the, the firecracker that, that really got everybody interested. You Was that over and that, that game? My question is, you know, given that, it's quite ironic that you've never actually played. I mean, we've got the two, of, the two greatest England bowlers who've ever lived with more than a thousand test wickets between you. Neither of you have appeared in the IPL. How do you feel about that? Well, I got signed. I got. Uh, I went to Kings Punjab in two thousand and ten. I think um, might have been twelve, ten, maybe. Um, but this was in. You know, I was playing all three formats for England, and the you just got no time off. You know, there mm. were times when I was three hundred, three hundred twenty nights away from home a year, and it was quite hard for England players to go contractually. I think um, it was all made quite difficult and. You wouldn't get the full eight weeks. You might get five, six weeks. Um, and I think from memory, I had a, a bit of a tight calf or torn calf. So I, I didn't actually end up going, which was disappointing. I'd like to, I would like to have experienced it, but just the, it's much easier to go now with the the sort of time given for, for players to go and experience it. Um, mm. I think I would, you know, at 22, 23, I'd love to have, have got in that, um, and experienced and be captained by Gilchrist, who was there at the time, and learn off off all these great players uh, that you get to play with. Um, you know, I, I feel very fortunate to have have played as much cricket as I played. I've I, I played. I think I'm still England's leading wicket taker in T20 cricket, having not played since 2014. Um, played over 100 ODIs, which I feel very lucky to have done. Um, but Test cricket's been my number one always has been um it's sort of ironic I, in a way that you've 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 taken a back seat from white ball cricket just at the time when lots of english players have gone to play in the ipl or when it's yeah. been permitted in a way 
encouraged. Yeah, yeah, but I, but also it gives me, you know, I, I, with a goal of playing as much Test cricket as I possibly can. Mm. You can't have it all. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, you know, I think it's hard to play all three formats and do the IPL and stay fresh and injury free. And saying, um, I, I saw Joffre's comments the other day about how he was sort of counting the other days to leave the IPL. Um, mm. I've gone through that sort of thing from, mm. I played for England at 20, from 20, you know, I traveled the world nonstop pretty much till 28, 29. Um, I'm happy, I'm really happy of, of how my career is aligned now. I play as much test cricket as I possibly can, but I also have a home life as well. I actually, uh, spend a bit of time at home, uh, see Molly, um, see my mm. family. You know, I, I think I missed 10, 10 in a row of my mum's birthday. Um, and now I think I've, I was home last year, which is great. You know, I think that it gets to a stage. You can't do it for your whole career. You've got to choose a lane. You can either choose the white ball lane or the test cricket lane and the red ball cricket lane. And, and my, my dream was to play test cricket as a, as a kid. Um, I still absolutely thrive off the feeling of playing it now. There's been some nice questions um, asked, and one is quite relevant actually here. So thanks very much for everyone for, for being so patient, as I said. And good to see that you're on the chat box there. Jacob Matthew, Jake, Jack Munro, Norts is here. He's been helping with the promotion of this. So thanks to you as well. Simon Mann is dipping in with a few questions. Um, one question here, Stuart. In the next and possibly final, that's a bit uh, premature, phase of your international test career, say the next four years, what goals are you setting yourself? Do they include being a more successful referrer off your own bowling? That's from Ian Wigston. <laughs> well, my uh, my mind has always worked on stats. So I would like that, and actually you're the analyst, I'd like my stats on successful reviews. Do you know them? No. Because I, I don't think I'm that bad. Right. I don't think I'd be the worst in the team. Okay. But I do like particularly I do bad like, when you bat. Maybe I do like the reviews. You're you're worse with, with the bat. Be. Not so bad Used now. Yeah. Right. No. No, I'm not as bad. Have now, you? Do you know that your reviews are, reviews are not bad? Uh, I don't. I don't. But I. Uh, it's a, it's a tough one. I got a couple right this summer. You know when um, the left hander of the West Indies nicked nick the ball and Joss didn't appear and he was like absolutely not. I was like, I'm sure I've heard. Some, I'm sure I've heard something. And he was out in the first over at Old Trafford. It is a really tough thing because um, when I watch on telly and I've watched from the comms box, you get such mm. a better view mm. of it. Genuinely, like you can well, easily go, nah, nah, not out or whatever. But when you're at the pace you're, you're bowling at and running at and it happens at that speed. Yeah. It's sort of just instinct. And, you know, mm. a lot of the time Joss will be moving down the leg side or blocked view so he can't see. The square of the wicket isn't going to give you a lot of help. So a lot of the time it is estimated guesswork. But, um, you know, the captain mm. always, I suppose, gets the pressure of the review, doesn't he? Oh, Joe Root's got that one wrong. Or, oh, Steve Smith's got that wrong. Or Tim Payne's got that wrong. But actually, if they're at slip, they probably have the worst view of the lot. So I think they're very much reliant on their teammates helping. But I think, mm. they, what, do we get three now? Mm. Give a bit more of a license, isn't it? Come on, then, let's have a little guess at that. Might be a wicket. <laughs> I love your optimism. Uh, I'm certainly in a commentary box, you, you can turn up the stump mics and things and you've got much more sense of, whereas, I, you know, as you say, with a bowler running in and his shirt flapping and hair and all that and wind and everything, I mean, you're not going to be able to hear edges nearly as clearly. And I've always thought, actually, umpires, 
you know, there are, there is a pointing at right angles to the wicket. You know, to really be able to hear an edge, they need to actually lean in. But obviously, they can't with their eyes in that in that in that way. So uh, problems. Um, going back to your first test, 20, uh, 2007, 36 overs, one for ninety five. How many test wickets? Can you take yourself back to that to that point? The young boy being um, given your first cap by Michael Vaughan, who, of course, is uh, celebrating his birthday today. So happy birthday, Vaughan. Um, how did you feel about your future then? Can you remember? Can you remember thinking, how many test wickets am I going to get? Uh, I never thought about test wickets, um, but I, I do remember being really clear that I didn't just want to play for England. I never really had a goal of just playing for England. I wanted to be successful for England. I wanted to play and win test matches for England. I remember being told I was playing the day before the game. Um, and Ian Botham, sorry, Ian Botham came into the change room and presented with me with my cap. And obviously that felt very special. I was like, wow, like how good is this? I'm going to play. But I never remember thinking, I never remember feeling, oh, I've made it then. Mm. I was like, right, what's my next challenge? What do I need to do? Where do I need to go? Um, and I played in Sri Lanka. And actually, it was a really good place to 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 make my debut because, you know, on Hawkeye, which is our tracking system, which judges how pitches move, and it's the flattest pitch in the world. Mm. It does the least. So if you're ever going to walk into t test cricket and think, oh, this is hard, it's there. And I left that, got home for Christmas, and I remember thinking, you know, this is a next. This is a next step up. There's no doubt about that. I've got to have variations. I've got to be. You can't have spells that you just take it easy. You've got to charge in all the time. And actually, I went to New Zealand the after Christmas, sort of January, February, really, really like switched on and motivated to to how I wanted to go about it. And I, Jimmy, and I actually came into the test side for Harmy and Hoggy at um, Wellington. And both of us did quite nicely. And I just remember feeling like the intensity that I would bowl every ball at just went through the roof. And it was a good realisation. Yeah, I'm not saying it would have been different if I played at Trent Bridge and got five for 20, but it might have been easier to go, oh, I've made it, if that makes sense. Mm. But actually, one, one for 90 off 30-odd at Colombo was like, wow, okay. I remember Jai Wardner walking out to bat and his highest scores came up on the big screen and it was like 290 270 252 all at this ground colombo colombo and i thought oh no this is going to be a tough uh, a tough few days but um no I, I mean i i i really loved the experience and i loved the 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 togetherness of it and um i, I remember i i got home that uh, that christmas and put my England cap on top of the Christmas tree. That was my star. What a great thing to be able to do, because it was just before Christmas, wasn't it? You, you mentioned Jimmy there, who, you know, you've obviously established this amazing partnership with him. But when you first came into the team and he was a little bit older than you and had, a, had played a little bit more, was there a rivalry? You know, was there a competitiveness? Because, you know, I suppose technically you could have got his place or he could be sort of looking at you as a young pretender. So was there a bit of... Uh, you know, sort of tension between you at all, or were you have you always been mates? So I've just seen uh, Becky C type. Stuart has both fewer reviews and better success rate than Jimmy, which I don't care if that's made up. That's just made my night. 
Um, so there is a rivalry um, between you, definitely, then. We're very competitive. I'd say our relationship has probably gathered a huge momentum over the last six, seven years. We talk all the time outside of cricket, but I think that makes our relationship very strong on the field. We have one goal and one goal only with that new ball, and that is to outthink, out-adapt the opposition opening batsman to set the tone in the right way for England. And mm. our way of setting the tone is to try and obviously remove the partnership and grab the game by the scruff of the neck and go at 1.5, 2 and over. And that's how we feel we create pressure. So when the first change bowler can come on, they're bowling at 2 for 20, not 1 for 47. So they can then settle in and, and have a nice start. And Jimmy and I complement each other hugely through that. I can't think of many occasions over the last five, six years when we haven't broken an opening partnership, one of us. We always talk about partnerships in cricket in batting, don't we? The, the two mm. batsmen go out and bat together. It is so vital in bowling. Mm. You have to realise if one of your bowlers is in great rhythm and say we've got David Warner and uh, Bancroft or Harris or Kawaja out there, if Jimmy feels in a brilliant rhythm against Kawaja, I have to make sure that he's bowling the majority of his balls at him. Mm. So... Right. If I'm bowling the last ball at Kawaja, then actually one off his little thigh pad to fine leg for one, great news. Mm. If I if Kawaja's at the non-striker's end when I'm bowling my last ball, I have to bowl double. So it's all that sort of, it's a tiny, I don't know if mm. you call it like nuances or it's like the chess game of test cricket, which I just absolutely adore. Well, you're, a great, uh, you're a great disciple of um, Glenn McGrath, weren't you? And when you first sort of came into the game. And I remember he what, one of the things he used to do with Warren, Shane Warren and him in partnership was uh, if he felt that there was a batsman that could really struggle against Warren in the next over at the non-striker's end, he'd bowl a bouncer way over the, the striker's head, the last ball of an over, to make sure that the non-striker was on the strike against Warren for the next over. One thing you always notice, Jimmy and I, we field mid-off to each other when yeah. we're bowling. Yeah. And that is just constantly talking. Mm. Who do you want to bowl at? What are you thinking? Should I put a cover in? What about a third slip? Is it that sort of pitch? Uh, do you think the Knicks are going to go fine? Do we need two gullies? Fine leg, should it be finer? Should it be square? It? And it's constant communication. You've got to bowl a bit fuller, mate. Come on, a bit fuller. That embeds in us as a partnership. And actually, there's times where Jimmy might bowl into the wind and feel uncomfortable, or I might bowl into the wind and feel uncomfortable and go, I'm having a nightmare here. Maybe I should follow you. Or they might mm. see it differently because, you know, from your 20 years of playing, you feel you can feel very different watching the game from mid-off than you do bowling. It's much better than being at fine leg where you feel completely detached, actually. You know, I think I can see why you do that. I mean, bowlers grow down and graze at fine leg, but actually they're completely out of the sort of conversation. So with the way you two work together, it's, it's a real symbiotic relationship. It's, it's brilliant. I will only keep playing and only have a hunger to keep playing why, while my competitive spirit is right up there because that's what drives me every day. Can we win? Can we win? Can we win for England? Can we enjoy that feeling in the change room after? If that goes, then you know it's time for me to move on and, and give the chance to someone else. But I feel like I'm at my best and this year's probably proven that. So try and get as much out of that as possible.
Let's go to some questions here um, from the uh, audience. And I'm sorry we're <clears throat> slow with this. TJ says, how did you find Biobubble life? Was it harder or easier than you thought being shut off and away from your family, Molly, etc.? And a connected question, what did David Young, the sports psychologist, the English sports psychologist, say about getting yourself going with no crowds? Yeah, good question. Uh, I found the first couple of weeks the hardest, actually, with no cricket because we were just doing a training camp before the test match started. So we went in on the 23rd of June, um, to which I spent my birthday, the 24th of June, waiting for a COVID test in my room, which was great fun. Um, big party in there on my own. Um, and then we didn't play till the 7th of July. So that I thought that time sort of stopped still because you might train 9 till 11.30 and then that was it there might be a bit of gym and then you go down to the restaurant and and eat and eat so the first two weeks i found very slow but once the test started it um it gathered pace and and it was fine you know it got a bit samey like you know it could do with food and eating in the same hotel room and all that but all we had to do is look how long the windies had been there uh, much longer than us. They arrived on the 4th of June. And as soon as you started feeling a little bit negative, you go, well, look, look what these guys are doing for us. We're fine. We've got to crack on here. So, yeah, it's different. And we, we obviously, we don't want it to continue like this for long periods of time. And I also think that the guys that have gone straight to the IPL, the likes of mm. Sam Currens and Joffre and Joss, they're going to need time out of these bubbles because... Well, that's what Joss, that's you know, what jo, um, Joe Root was saying on this uh, show last week, actually. Um, and what, what did David Young, how did he help you? Because you're all someone who, as a bowler, you, you get on those rolls, you know, we've seen them so many times where you just knock over, steamroller a few wickets and the crowd will get behind you. So what did he say that you could do to sort of compensate for the lack of that? focus on the one-on-one -on -one battle competitively. So actually what I found, I've, I found, I was worried about not playing in front of crowds, um, to be honest. Um, so I spoke to him in May and shared my concern and say, right, what, what's my sort of tactic if we play with no crowds? And it was very much like ramp up the personal battle and the, the competitiveness with the, with the batsman and the opposition team. Um, and then your skill will carry you through the battle. I found it much harder watching, and I commentated a couple of games in the ODIs, watching on telly, uh, watching, I went and watched Trent, uh, Trent Bridge not to play Derby. Um, very odd without a crowd. Found it really hard to get into it. Um, but playing, because I'm competitive, because you're playing test match cricket, you could focus on that individual battle at that period and it felt fine. Of course, the, the, the biggest time we missed it was reviews because you have that, oh, should we, should we, oh, panic, panic, let's go for it. And then the crowd get into it, it's on the big screen, it's like, oh, and then you have a huge celebration when it's three reds. That was lacking and that was missing. And also when Wokesy and Joss had that incredible uh, innings at Old Trafford to win the first test against Pakistan. Saturday afternoon at Old Trafford, everyone had been, it would have been a party there. It would have been awesome. So I think winning moments and special moments, it, heartbreaking, the crowds weren't in. But actually to have played the amount of cricket we got to play this summer, 
has done the game the world of good. I and mean, obviously, we've mm. still lost a lot of money with the ECB, but you know, I, I'd be scared to think where this game would be if if we didn't get all the cricket in. Mark Wallace says, "Who is the most difficult player to bowl to?" Yeah, good question. Uh, Steve Smith is is probably the obvious choice because he's so unique. He's so unorthodox, but also I think he, he gives kids out there. Um, yeah, you should watch They should watch him and learn from him because you don't have to go by the textbook. You don't have to do what your coach thinks, right. Actually do what's natural to you. And it can carry you to be the best in the world. Like Steve Smith, he is so awkward to bowl at. He's never going to hit you, hit a cover drive like Coley does. And you go, Oof, wow, he's, you know, he's absolutely dominated me there. But he accumulates runs in an incredible fashion. He'll get to 30, Steve Smith. And you think, how on earth has he got to 30 here? And we put a leg slip in for the whole of the Ashes series, and it took us six weeks to get one to kick, go straight to yeah. him. You know, it would yeah. beat him either side. Well, you nearly got um, him out in he, the first he, test, didn't you? You nearly got him out, caught leg yeah. slip, yeah. and then didn't Jason kind Moy of was there. Re- didn't really stick with that ploy consistently, and until the end, really. I don't think any pundit has actually. I know no analyst has no. No bowler's got it right. No captain's 100% sorted it yet. But no and no pundits even gone, this is where you bowl to him and this is how you do it, which is great credit and great testament to Steve. I think New Zealand probably had the most success against him this winter, didn't they, with Wagner bowling short mm. to the big Australian boundaries. Um, yeah. I mean, that you know, if you think about it logically, that. if you think about it logically, there's two things he doesn't like. And this is this probably applies to most batsmen, really. It doesn't matter who they are, whether it's Wally Hammond or Phil Tufnell. You know, it's um, bouncers, fast bouncers at neck height and very good Yorkers straight because you're bringing in the fast bouncer is obviously difficult with the height and variable heights that it comes off at. And he's got into trouble re- definitely recently in the IPL and before with with the show, a good bouncers. And the other thing is that you know fast Yorker is is, is bringing in several options for dismissal. Certainly bold and LBW anyway. Yeah, you you need the pitch, you need the right pitch to bowl bouncers. Sure. So Edge Baston yeah. nightmare just yeah. was slow, low. Mm, yeah, played at Lords and that zipped through okay. And actually, that's where Joffre caused him some him, trouble. Yeah. yeah. Then he missed Headingley, and then Old Trafford was, you know, bouncing three times to the keeper. Nightmare. The English pitches are not the not a great place to bowl bouncers, particularly. And you see, you see that because all the great fast bowlers who bowl genuine pace struggle in England generally. Mitchell Johnson, Brett Lee's record wasn't fantastic here. The ball just sticks in the pitches slightly, and and the bounce is not as effective as it is in South Africa and Australia and. Caribbean in some places. Um, I'm just just reading on the chat here some nice comments. Catherine Goble says, "I love listening to Brody speak. It's always interesting, and his honesty is so refreshing." That interview he gave to Sky after being dropped was one of my favourite moments of the summer. <laughs> so impressive. Um, right, it's time for a surprise for you now, and it's called "How Well Do You Know Yourself." So it's a little quiz, and we start it with a bit of music. Right, so this is how well do you know yourself? 
10 questions. Joe Root did it last week and he scored six out of 10. Okay, no. so some of them will be easy and some of them will be a little bit trickier. First test wicket, your first test wicket was Traminder Vass. Who was your second? Stephen Fleming. Sure. Are you questioning me because that's wrong? I'm um, just because it's either Stephen Fleming sure? or um, the opening batsman, Bell. I remember I got him caught by Collie. But I thought, oh no, yeah, I got him. I think I got Bell first and then got Fleming leaving one. Yeah. Final Incorrect. Answer. Brendan McCullum. Not ah, out of one. McCullum who nicked it, was it? Okay, not right. out of one. Never mind. Um, okay, it's a bad start. In which country, question two, outside England, have you taken the most test wickets? What's your most successful country outside England? South Africa. Good answer. One what out of two. Taste the bowl, that is. Love it. Love it. Question three. Your top score is 169 against Pakistan at Lords. What is your second best test score? 74 at Lords? Well, I'll, I'll give you that, actually. Uh, seven, 76, actually, at Lords against South Africa. So, good. Yeah, two out of three. Okay, I'll, I'll just be a bit lenient there. In which batting position have you been most successful between number seven and number 11? Which number bat? Nine. Is your best spot? Nine. Nine? You sure? It's actually number eight, at which you average 23. Really? Yeah. You average 23 at number eight. Yeah, all right. So go and talk to Rudy then. Hmm. Um, right. So that's, what's that? Two out of four. Who has more test match ducks, you or Jimmy? Me. I think I'm the leader. I overtook Atherton. Jimmy didn't get one for like 45 innings or something. Very good. Very well explained. 24 Anderson, 35 Broad. Three out of five. You're doing all right. Who was your 200th test wicket? Michael Clark, bouncer at Old Trafford, gloved Very good. Arm. Very good. Four out of six. You've taken 514 wickets in 143 tests. In how many of those matches have you gone wicketless? And I'll give you a choice. How many wicketless tests have you had? Um, six, nine, 12 or 15? How many wicketless? I'm not sure, actually, if that's tests or innings. This is a Simon Mann question. But anyway, it's six, nine, 12 or 15. You've got if a very... Tests, if it's if it's tests, I'd say six. If it's innings, I'd say 15. Well, um, I don't know how to mark this because it's nine anyway, the answer. I'm not actually sure <laughs> if it's, it's wrong, matches. Man. I think it's matches, <laughs> matches rather than innings. So I'll give you kind of, I'll give you half a point because uh, that was a bit of a, a difficult question. One, do you know there's a harsh one in there because I once played a test match, which was a test cat. Antigua in 2009, where I sipped half a cup of tea and it got called off because of a sandy outfield, and that was classed as a test cap. Okay, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, you haven't really got that answer right, so I'm gonna have to mark it wrong there. So, so you, you, you're on that's three you got wrong, so we, we're up to question eight. So you've you got four out of seven, so four out of seven, four out of yeah. seven. Okay, question eight, you've taken 178. 
ODI wickets. Who was your last victim in ODIs? Hashim Amla. Well done. Five out of eight. Okay, two more questions. You might suspect a little bit of help from your father here. Um, what, according to your father, was your most annoying habit after sporting events that you had taken part in when you were younger, when you were at home, basically? What was your most annoying habit after sporting events that you had taken part in and you did it all the time, apparently? I'd have no idea. No, I have no idea on that. He says, very long-winded accounts of games. <laughs> How's that going? That's nice. You're the analyst. You're the analyst. You'd love to talk about it, wouldn't you? Five out of nine. Right, you need, you need to get this right to get equal with Root, okay? So, last question. What did you always insist on eating? This is when you were a child. What did you always insist on eating, even when you went to a nice restaurant? And... I'll give you a clue. There's a there's a restaurant near the Oval named after this thing. It's food, not a drink. Yes, yeah, food, yeah. Something that you mm. always it's wanted. Like a side. Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a meal in itself in a way, but it's it's one little thing. I'm gonna have dessert. to. I'm gonna have to hurry. You know, five, four. No, it's a main course of some kind. Three. Two, it's not a pie. One. Oh no! I'm afraid you've you finished with five. Dippy egg, a dippy egg. Oh uh, right. He, according yeah. to your dad, you you always ask for a dippy egg, even in a uh, a little restaurant. So, well, I'm gonna have to give you a bit of applause for that. But no, we'll have know, to we'll have to cut it. Do you know why? Do you know why I thought that? It's because I once, when I was younger, I went to a restaurant and I knew I wanted a dippy egg and I tried to explain it. And I said, could I have one of those uh, things um, with yellow in the middle and white around the outside? And the bloke was like, an egg. I was like, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, but, you know, the different type of egg. He did actually say that there was one time when you couldn't remember what an egg actually was called. Final question here from Jacob. How many test wickets do you reckon you will end up with in... Uh, in the in the, in the future, with you being four years younger than Jimmy, I'm not someone who predicts the future. I think you know I, I'm I've never really been looked. I've never really looked at Test wickets as a goal. I look at series upon series. So winning in or going to Australia, winning, being part of a successful Ashes tour next winter is like my Olympics, if that makes sense. You know that is a, a goal that I really want to achieve. But I certainly don't want to sit here and think that I'm targeting that as a as a great way to finish or anything you know I want to keep going I, I want to keep playing and if I'm taking wickets for England I mean in the last year I've ra I've risen from I think 18th to second in the world in the bowling rankings so uh, I have a goal to keep improving if I'm improving at this age why can't I improve next year um, I still feel fresh still haven't had too many injury concerns and and Jimmy from 34 to 37 I'd say 36 and a half was probably at his absolute peak He's my inspiration. Why can't I do that? Well, absolutely he can after that summer in which he took his wickets at 14 and was rightly made England's test player of the summer. It's the best summer of cricket he's had, actually, with the ball for England. And he does seem to be getting better and better. And it does seem extraordinary now, thinking about it, that he was left out of that first test of the summer. And you can quite see him being a force in the next Ashes in 12 months' time. 
So thanks very much to Stuart Broad for his time last Thursday in the virtual club. And England will be hoping that our next guest, Mark Wood, will also be fit to join him at those ashes, generating those speeds that he was last summer and before that, 95 miles an hour. Raring to go still. He would have had uh, plenty of scope to, to keep his body in sh- good shape over the next few months. So uh, the Ashes is definitely one of his targets as well. And he'll be in the Virtual Creek Club next Thursday night at 7pm. You can join us by going to www.patreon.com slash theanalyst1 and sign up there for the four live events that are coming up. Mark Wood is the first one, 7pm this Thursday. Hope you can join us for that. And also don't forget that Beer52 offer as well. Beer52.com slash cricket for your eight free beers. Hope you can sign up for that and look forward to your company again, hopefully next Thursday in the Virtual Cricket Club. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.